Mataji, from the information I've read about you, you were born in India a Christian. Yes. How was that? I mean, I was just born a Christian, that's all. There couldn't be very many Christian Indian families in that country. No, there are lots of Christians. Apart from that, with a purpose I was born a Christian. Which part of India do you truly come from? Just the center of India, absolutely the central point. Is there anything specific, do you think, about this being the central point? Uh, it is the central point because I have to be in the center to do my job, and that's why I was born in the center of India. When you were a child, though, being born in the center of India, did that mean anything to you as a young girl, say? I didn't know that it was a center or anything to be discussed about it because I knew what uh, my mission was, what I was to do. And I, was, I knew I would be born at the right point where mm -hmm. I have to be born. So I took all these things for granted because I knew this was to be, so I knew this very well. It How old were you when you realized that you had this mission? All my life. It's just like as you realize uh, you are a human being, as in the same way I knew that I was to do all this. I knew I was different. Mm -hmm. And did you start fulfilling this mission ever since you can remember? Yes, of course. I mean, <clears throat> I knew I had healing powers and I knew I had curing powers. I knew I could raise the Kundalini, all that I knew. But I wanted to do something by which I knew all the permutations and combinations of the problems of human beings. That's how I would study that. And uh, I wanted to find out a proper time and I could find out a method by which a mass happening could happen by which one could achieve it. And on the 5th of May, <coughs> I was sitting next near the sea where I decided that it should happen and it worked out that it's a <coughs> the last center as we call it, the last center where the limbic area is placed. You see, above that resides the opening for the divine, what we call in, among, in uh, say in the Bible is baptism. The baptism that we have is just a sort of a ritual, it's not the real baptism. The real baptism is that when this residual force within us, called as Kundalini, when it rises and pierces this area, fontanel bone area, which is a soft bone when you are a child, that time is the real baptism and this baptism was to be achieved. But I wanted to make a way by which we could achieve a mass uh, happening of this, a mass. Because you see, if it happened to one person, say Christ was a realized soul, a great, he was an incarnation, according to me, he was the Son of God, no doubt. But nobody recognized him. And when he tried to uh, explain to them, they would not understand because he was at such a height that people could not understand what he was seeing, what he was talking about. And ultimately, what a stupid thing it was too, and I said, absolutely, it was very, very wrong to crucify a man of that caliber who was nothing but the incarnation. Mm. So it was on the 5th of May of which particular year that you 1970. Let's go back to when you were a child. Was there anything special about the way you were brought up that might have well, geared much, you? Very more? much from my very childhood. I mean, when I was 
to be conceived by my mother only. They told me lots of things what happened to my mother and she dreamt of so many things. But one of the main thing, one of the uh, very remarkable ones which I remember now is this, that she, <coughs> she wanted to go and see a tiger when she was eight months pregnant and my fa father said, it's funny that you want to go and see a tiger at uh, this uh, advanced stage of pregnancy. But she said, no, I must go and see a tiger. So my father was a big, well-known hunter, Shikari, in those days. And one of the Rajas sent him a word saying that there's a man-eater, perhaps, in the forest, and we would like you to come and help us. So he said, see, now I have got a message, and I have to go. And my mother said, all right, if you have to go, I'm coming with you. She said, how will you come in this day? She said, no, I must come. I must see the tiger moving. Then uh, he went there and she also, and they, we use a kind of a, <coughs> a platform on, a, on top. They build it up on top of a tree, which is called as Machan. And these, uh, uh, all these villagers, you see, they drive the uh, animal towards the hunter. And my father and mother always sitting on top of the Machan. And suddenly my mother saw the big, huge, Tiger. My father said he had never seen such a big one before, and just coming in the moonlight and walking very stealthily in his own grace and dignity. And my mother was so enamoured, you see, that uh, she just looked at it and she was so happy as if her child is seen or what. She felt very happy, she said. Then my father wanted to kill the animal. She said, No, if you kill the animal, I'm going to jump out of it, this place. You are not going to kill the animal. And they say that the tiger disappeared. They don't know where the tiger went away. So my father knew that it would be some sort of a powerful personality that is going to be born. And my father, being a realized soul, also knew that I was something extraordinary. Mm -hmm. What about when you were actually a child, though? Did they treat you as something very special and teach you maybe some even special things to help you fulfill this mission of yours? No, not like that. You see, it was a very free sort of a expression of a personality which people accepted because I was very extremely loving, compassionate, generous. And I was a unique type of a person as a child and so they knew she was different, that's all. But uh, only thing I would say that my father understood me much better because he was a realized soul and he, when I grew up a little more then he told me that no use talking about it to anyone because they will never understand. You must first of all find out a method by which uh, you get an Amas realization. That is your work, as you know. And so, unless until you find that, uh, there's no use talking about it because you'll create another Quran or Bible. What's the use? You must give them an experience, otherwise they will never understand uh, any one of us. Did you continue this idea of yours of uh, trying to get this mass experience going through your work with Mahatma Gandhi? No, no, that time it was different, it was an emergency. Of course, in, uh, in a small way I contributed also because he loved me very much, he used to call me Nepali, you see. Nepali is our face, you see. The Chinese face is Nepali face, you see, that because I have brought the same. And uh, he always used to call me Nepali. <coughs> he loved me very much. But he was a man born for an emergency. 
<coughs> when our country was to be politically independent. And that was his thing. But one thing I must say, though he was a political leader, and a political leader need not worry about spirit and religion and all that, but he considered our country to be a, a land of yoga. And he always based his all th theories and philosophies and also his uh, activities on the fiber that was India, that the fiber is we are very religious people and to understand what is religion is and how to uh, create an atmosphere of satisfaction in the people. So he had that in within him, but he didn't talk of realization that time. And as a just I was just was a little child of seven years, you see. So I used to play about with him and he was very fond of oranges, so I would make some orange juice for him and give him orange juice and this and that. And he used to discuss with me sometimes small, small things, you know. And I remember once I told him that, why do you make everybody get up so early? If you want to get up, you can get up, but why do you make everyone get up early? He said, but you get up very early. I said, it's all right for me, but everybody cannot get up very early. He said, no, they must be made to get up. So I said, but why should we make them do that? He said that, you see, just now we are uh, in passing through crisis, we have to fight the British and we have to get our independence and if people are lethargic, then how are we going to do it? So we have to be disciplined, you see. So he said, we must have discipline, otherwise it won't be all right. And then I told him that a day will come when we'll have our inner discipline, that would be much better. So he knew I was a very wise person, used to love me and also respect me. But in a very, uh, I should say, in a very, very fatherly manner, and uh, he would discuss things with me, which was, uh, I would say, he impressed me by, for, by many things. Uh, one of them is his sense of integrity, sense of integrity with himself. He was absolutely honest to himself. That's something so great about him, which I appreciated. He never cheated himself. This is the greatest thing about him. Is. And in money matters, in anything, he was so integrated that whatever he said, he did. He criticized himself, he looked at himself, he watched himself. But for him, realization was not the problem. That was not the problem at that time. The problem was different. But after, after independence, we should have taken to realization. That was the main problem we had. But after realization, we, start, we had problems of, uh, say, partition and other things, and the diversion of the whole attention, the whole nation, you see, was on the wrong things. We had to solve this problem and solve that problem. And nobody thought of realization at that time. Normally, it should be so. How much do you think Mahatma Gandhi influenced the way you developed your Sahaja Yoga, your, your way of thinking now, your technique, maybe? I see, it was no question of influence, because, you see, this is another realm I'm talking about. Sahaja Yoga takes you to another realm, where these problems do not exist. You see, you work out with divine power, not with human powers, but you work out with divine power. And divine power are tremendous, and they work out everything in such a smooth manner that there was no need to use all these human powers, I think, personally. But but uh, his main contrib uh, contribution, I think, was to establish uh, balance in people. Balancing people was the thing that he brought in and make them more Indian 
and, and to take out all the slavish mentalities that had trickled down into us, to make us feel our self-respect. All these things were there. But the realm in which I was was very different from his, so the question of influence doesn't come in. But I would say that uh, certain things uh, were influenced. Uh, I would say I, the, uh, my choice of, say, uh, different um, prayers, I told him according to the centers within us, and I didn't tell him these are according. But I said you put this first, and then this one, and this one, and he said all right, it's good idea, and he changed the sequence like that. But uh, it was so smooth and so uh, silently done that it was not made obvious to people that in any way we had any report on these things. Nor did he ever ask me about spirit. Nor did he ever meditate. He did not meditate because he, he was not realized. He was not realized at that time. He was not a realized soul. And his main attention was for this, and he will be born again and he'll be realized, because he was a great soul, no doubt. He was very, very great. I mean, uh, he was extremely great as a human being. But realization is very different. It's another realm into which human beings, the awareness is different. And his meditation was just to ponder about things and to guide oneself and all that he was there. Mm -hmm. But not the kind of a meditation I talk of where you become thoughtlessly aware. It's a different dimension in your awareness. Is this then what self-realization is mean, what you mean by a realized soul? Yes. Self-realization means when the Self, which is talked about in all the scriptures and all that, starts emitting its manifestation in our conscious mind means that time we become aware of it, that to this extent that our central nervous system starts recording the power of our spirit, of our Self, and we start feeling the breeze-like uh, vibrations of the Spirit, which is called as in the Bible as the cool breeze of the Holy Spirit. You're saying then that when a person is realized, he feels some actual physical things. Yes, the energy that's flowing through him, he can feel it. It's flowing through his body. Not only that, but he becomes, again I say it becomes, it's not lecturing or any brainwashing, but he becomes collectively conscious, means in his awareness he can start feeling another person's centers and also his own centers, and he can start correcting it. Is it like finding what one can loosely describe, or people have loosely described, as the soul inside one. Yes, but they are quite confused people. They don't know what is soul, what is spirit, but these are all precise things. Soul is the thing which, <coughs> which is not only the spirit, but is the body of the personality, except for the element of earth in it. We are made of five elements, all right? out of which the element of earth, when it drops out, then you become the soul, because you, are, you cannot be seen, but you exist in another plane. Was it before you decided to start your, truly start your mission, that you also took courses in medicine? Yes, I did some medicine because I knew I had to talk to doctors 
and explain to them what is all this, because I knew what it is, but I didn't know what they called it, you see, because the names are given by human beings. So I had to study, and I also studied one dictionary on psychology, because I knew I had to talk to psychologists and scientists and doctors, so I have to know about it, what they talk, say, what they call it, you see. And the theories by, say, scientists that uh, man came from a little cell from heaven knows where. Uh, how did you feel about those and relate That's to them? That's a fact. That's a fact. If he came from a cell, he evolved through a cell. But how did he evolve? Why did he evolve? What is the purpose of his life? He's not all answered by science. And what is the power that makes you evolve? Also that is not answered. So in Sahaja Yoga you know all that, how, with what power you evolve. And with the same power not only you evolve up to this stage but you go higher. What is your theory about that then? Why are we here or why have we been so long in the process? <laughs> See, anything that you create, even human beings, for example, you have created this beautiful lamp. Now why is it there? To give us the light, isn't it? To give that power. So that's how God has created us, to give His power to us so that we feel Him and we know Him in our awareness, we understand Him and we emit His powers and enjoy it. To to say in, in the words of Christ, to enter into the kingdom of God. Are you talking about the same God as every religion talks about? Absolutely, there's nothing else. Is Sahaja Yoga then a sort of uh, new religion? No, it's the integration of all the religion, I should say, it's the enlightenment that, that proves all the religions and all the incarnations and their integration. It's How the do you light. it? In the sense that now, see, in this room there are many things, but when you, it's dark, you see this thing as something different and there's another thing as something different. And you say that this is mine, that say this is mine, this is the truth, because you see that and another sees another thing. But when there is light, you see the whole thing belongs to the same. Sahaja Yoga just gives you that light of spirit by which you start seeing that it's all just the same. For example, now, once you are connected to your spirit, you start getting those cool vibrations in your hand. Now you want to ask any question, is there God? You'll immediately get a lot of vibrations coming to you. Whatever are absolute questions are answered like this. You start feeling them. And every question, wherever you have a problem, you can ask and can know, because now you are connected to the absolute. All such... Now, whatever questions you are asking, see, you are realized so. You can get answers on the on the hands and you can know that whether this is true or not. Whether Christ was... No, they said He was the Son of God. People can challenge, I can understand that, because they were not realized souls and they, that's why they couldn't understand that time. But now, when you are realized, you just ask, was He the Son of God? And you'll see that the vibrations will start flowing. You will know who was really uh, a real uh, saint or a prophet or who was a fake one. Everything you can find out through these vibrations, because a rapport is established. Now you are connected, like this is connected to the mains. Unless and until the speaker is connected to the mains, it is useless. You are to be connected to the mains, unless and until this instrument that is created from amoeba stage to this stage is connected to the mains, you are not going to know yourself, you are not going to know your meaning, neither you are going to function for which you are created. Surely it's a matter of uh, what stage in your development you are that you can even start to question about these things? No, not necessarily, uh, because the time has come. 
There's no need to have a question. But the time has come. It's everywhere. I find it in different styles. For example, African countries have problems. They have their own problems they are facing. They are so speedy, they have problems. Cancer is one of them, which is, uh, only can be cured after self-realization, otherwise you cannot cure cancer. There's so many things are there. I mean, on, say, developing countries have their own problems, and then they start thinking, now, what about us? How are we to, for example, like India? We have problems and people get so confused, they don't know how to solve the problem, they try to solve one problem, they jump into another. So they start thinking about it. Now, what is it? What's going wrong? Because you do not have the light, you're walking in the darkness and you, you are bumping at each other for nothing at all. Will people be able to handle this self-realization, you think? Yes, by all means. See, once you are self-realized, you have to a little bit establish yourself. That's true. You take about, say, at the most a month or two months. Once you are established, you become so powerful and so wise that you, you, the vibrations tell you. And you just don't do wrong things. If you start doing it, you don't like it because you start getting pain in the fingers, something happens to you. You don't like it. You enjoy this because it's so blissful. Don't you think that perhaps it might go the same way, say, for instance, if we talk about Christ teaching His uh, love idea and how we should love everybody, that some people just didn't accept that? You know? It doesn't matter, but that may not be possible now because those who will not accept will have a problems. They'll have problems. They have to accept it. Otherwise, they'll have problems. Gradually, they will all perhaps accept it. You see, because this is the solution of all the problems. Because you have problems, you have to accept. Otherwise, human beings are not easy things to accept. <laughs> Christ, you see, at that time didn't come for realization. He just came to prove that there is spiritual power which cannot be killed. Resurrection is his message. My message is not resurrection or anything. Mine is your resurrection. The resurrection of the whole human race is their evolution is my message. This is my job. How are you going to convince hard boiled cynics <laughs> that this is the right way to go about things? You see, uh, this nature will work it out in so many ways. Say, cynics are there. They are cynics because of certain reasons. Uh, they would not be so because they are conditioned, very much conditioned. And uh, you can find out because they must be having problems with that mental problems and you know, also problems in the family. Cynics will have always problems in the family, and some sort of a thing will be there. And I mean. I do not say that always they have problems. There are some people who say that those who are unhappy can only come to you. Not necessarily, because there's a category of seekers. There is a category of people who are seekers. First, I have to worry about them, those who are really seekers. It's a category. And that's why they are very unhappy, because there is, they are a different category. They cannot be satisfied with anything. They'll try everything. You see, they'll try to get some money, they'll try to get some power, they'll try this, try that, but they'll not be happy, because they are a different category. So they'll seek again God. When they'll seek God also, they'll go to wrong people and spend money here and do this and do that, everything they'll try. And then they'll find out, still they haven't found out what they were finding, so they'll come to Sahaja Yoga. So first my attention is on the seekers themselves. It's a category which I, as I told you, I mean, these people know that William Blake has written about them. This, he calls them men of God. 
and these men of God, he says, will become prophets. And these prophets will have a special power by which they will be giving realizations to others and making them into prophets. Are you saying then that William Blake was a realized soul? Oh, of course, very much. How can one be a realized soul when you're here now? <laughs> you see, there are many realized souls before also, and uh, it's, it's the power is all-pervading, it's eternal, it's always existing. Uh, all of uh, these great saints, like uh, we can say that, um, John the Baptist was a realized soul, and in the same way William Blake was. Shakespeare was a great realized soul. He was really tremendous. The way he tried to show the futility of life, he definitely was a realized soul. And this you will know by feeling the vibrations of these people, whether they were realized or not. You can feel their vibrations, that they were realized souls. And uh, these realized souls were something, we can say, thousands of years back we had realized souls. They were one or two, like in the, in the on a tree. You see, there are only one or two flowers to begin with. Then gradually the blossom times comes in, and then there are many flowers and there are many fruits. It's the growth. What does it take to be a realized soul? Is it a mature person, or is it somebody who appreciates mankind for what it is? No, it's not a mental. Uh, status that's important. It is the desire within you, the pure desire to be one with God, to be one with beyond. This pure desire. It may exist also the desire that you see this is not everything. There's a drama. See, you get fed up and you get bored and you say, Yes, all right. I mean you try everything, but you say, No, no, I'm not happy about it. You see, this is the pure desire to be one with your spirit. That's the quality, that you need not be educated, that you might be just a uh, street urchin, you could be living in a, a village somewhere in a remote place, still the pure desire may be in you, completely existing, and that, that works it out. But you are not aware of the pure desire, but that works it out, because you do not feel happy with other things, you know, you just you, you feel frustrated, and whatever you try, so oh God. But it's an economic science that, you see, in particular, you may satisfy want, but in general, they are not satiable. So even the matter teaches you. Two very interesting thoughts come to my head at this particular point. One, is it through being realized that one gets a little knowledge of what's on the other side of death, as it were, and two, um, whether one really, through this realization, finds a little bit of God inside oneself. That's the point. Second point is correct, that you find God within yourself. And then your priorities change about your knowing about things. You don't want to know what is beyond life because you come in the present. You are not worried about the past or the future. But of course that also you know, because gradually when your uh, vision in improves, you start seeing what happens after death, because you see the patients coming to you and you start seeing they are possessed and their spirits and this and that and they are possessed by the spirits and then you talk to them and you find out such a lot about them, what all that is. So that also comes to you as an experimentation with your Truth that you have found out. But the main thing that happens to you is that you start feeling that universality within you, you just start feeling in the sense that it becomes a part and parcel of your awareness just a part and parcel of your awareness. As as a human being now, you have a special awareness, say, for flowers. 
you have awareness for cleanliness, but animals don't have. In the same way you go to a point where you just become aware of that, that you start feeling them around, you start feeling even what is right and wrong. For example, if I tell people this is sin, then they will do it hundred times, all right? But if I give them realization, they will not just do it because they know it is because they start seeing it. Like in the night, you see, I'm sleeping in this room and there's a snake up here. And somebody says, there's a snake. I'll say, no, I can't see it, it's not there, I can't see it. But if you put on the light, I'll just know it's a snake and I'll run away from it. How does one know what's right and what's wrong, though? You see, because you have not found the Absolute, that's why there's a problem. But if you found the Absolute, you just know it, because it is not knowledge by your rationality, but you're in your being, you, ju you just feel it on your fingers. You just know it is there. You just know what it is happening to another person, you start feeling it just start feeling, this is not good. You go to any house, you know that there's something wrong in this house, you don't feel all right. Uh, there's some scenters catching on your fingers, you feel them. You ask the person and you find out, yes, there was something wrong. You're talking about feeling things now through the fingers, a part of the body. How did you come about this particular idea that it's through the fingers one has such knowledge of oneself? I know all these things beforehand. <laughs> what to say now? <laughs> it is too too audacious to say, but it's true. I know that. You see, I knew this. It's that's my knowledge. I should say, as I know all this. You you feel then that uh, you you're sent here by by God, or say as the next prophet in line. Oh, I don't want to say all that, you see, because I don't want to get crucified for nothing at all. No, I'm quite wise, but there's something special, no doubt. Yes, there is something very great, but according to, according to human beings. But for me it's nothing great, it's just the same. I mean, says the sun gives you light, so what is so great about it? It has got the light, so it gives light. Supposing if I have this power, I can do it. For example, if I have to do radio work, I cannot do. I cannot even play my own radio, I'm so hopelessly bad. But I know Kundalini, I know how to do this work, you see. So there's nothing to feel that I'm higher, lower or anything. This is my job, I know that. I'm here for that job, finished, that's all. A lot of people in the last few years particularly have come up with ideas that have been, you know, along your lines. Yeah. Uh, a lot of yogas, a lot of yogis. <laughs> um, you know, people have got this misconception about yoga. Mm. See, very much uh, this thing so that, see, yoga means, in simple words, means union with God, with Spirit. All other thing is nonsense. All other things are nonsense, you see. Stand on your head or you do these things. It's a spontaneous process. It's a living process of the living God. It has to happen within you, just like a sprouting of the seed. Now, for sprouting a seed, if you stand on your head, can you sprout the seed? Can you transform a flower into a fruit? Can you, by standing on the head or doing some sort of an exercise? You see, this Hatha Yoga also was practiced in India about thousands of years back, when we had another system of life, where students were sent to the guru, to the teacher, and the students lived with the teacher in a forest, where some students were selected, and they were given this self-knowledge. But the first thing in, all, in the real Patanjali Yoga is this, that you must have Ishwara Pranidhan means you must establish your God. If you have not established your God, Ishwara Pranidhan, 
then this, all these exercises is nothing but people are becoming actors and actresses, that's all. It is never so important. See, all these also exercises are just like different corrections of your different centers for corrections, physical corrections, and they are to be used at a particular, particular time, at a particular trouble, you see, if you have a certain trouble, say, of the neck, what's the use of doing the exercise of your stomach? But the way people do these days, this Hatha Yoga is as if like taking the whole medicine box at the same time, and by that they thin down, and the thinning down, they think is very healthy, is not correct, because this kind of thinning down actually comes because they become dry people. See, they, they get all right because you are paying attention to your health, but health is not everything. Such people become very dry, uh, they become very fidgety, uh, they become very nervy, and also they can be very hot-tempered, or they can be terrific. So, see, very big bores also, they could divorce their wives and beat their children and all sorts of things they can do. We had such yogis in our India, in ancient times also, who used to just uh, curse people to die. You see, is this the way uh, to achieve yoga? So this misconception of yoga or malpractice, no, maybe this even is, of yoga. This is, I would not say malpractice because I am a mother, I wouldn't say that, I must give them benefit of doubt. But uh, they didn't have the complete knowledge, so they went on one side, you see, doing one thing. Then another went on the other side, like, you see, de devotion, some people, you know, are uh, dancing and singing the name of God. No, I mean, going mad with it, you see. I've seen people really getting mad with it. Just, that's another extreme. One extremist decide is to become a sort of a fanatic and uh, what you call an ascetic and all sorts of things, and another extreme is that. But God is in between. He's not in extremes. People being what they are, they tend to be distrustful. And uh, some people might say, well, how are we to know that she's not going to rip us off or, you know, lead us down another very true. I mean, I should, I, I would be very happy if they do not trust people, but they do. If they are mesmerized, they are very much there. Moreover, if somebody asks for money, then they are much more for that. There's a competition, you see. A competition is set in. Recently we had somebody in India who has made twenty-one crores of rupees out of such people, you see. And uh, that's why I say that not that they do not trust, uh, but they are stupid. They have always, always doubted the people who have been real and always have trusted the people who are unreal. They have been stupid about it. There are certain things by which we can judge a person if he's true or not. First and foremost thing, you cannot sell God. You cannot make money out of God. No, you cannot. Uh, you cannot sell your vibrations. You cannot sell these things. This, this is very precious. You cannot value it, it's invaluable, it's God's love. So you cannot have a sort of a, a regular organization by which you sell it in the market. It's so shameful and so insulting to God. You just do it because you love them. They are part and parcel of your being, that's why you just cure them, because they are part and parcel. You don't say that, if I cure this hand with this hand or give a little relief, do I pay that hand? Or do I feel any obligation or anything? Nothing. You just do it because it's part and parcel of your being. So it has to be compassion. 
and it cannot be money and all these nonsensical things that are going on. People are more enamored by these things, you see, and all the circuses people will have, and the hypocrisies, you see, if they dress up a kind of a dress and move about, then people are very much impressed by that. You see, people care more for superficial things, you see. If you uh, sort of uh, go in a, say, in a square and sit down with uh, one lion cloth, you see, and the, the, you see the snow is falling, oh, such a great saint has come, you see, so everybody's running. What do we have to do with the ascetics when we are living in household? We have nothing to do with them. If they are ascetics, we should have nothing to do with ascetics, because we are householders, and householders are the best people suited for surgery. And those who have run away from their lives, let them go to Himalayas and station themselves. They have no reason to come here and live like parasites on our earnings. They are parasites of the worst type. See, dealing in opium means other people's money. That's what they are. And they have no self-respect. They are without any self-respect. And some of them are so cruel, they have made people so poor and they have taken away all the money. Not only that, I don't mind even, let's be there, smugglers, this, that, doesn't matter. But they have put such spirits into people that they are falling of epilepsy, they're having heart troubles, they're having kidney trouble, they're having all kinds of troubles. These horrible people, they're satanic. You are devoting yourself completely then to your mission, heart, soul, mind, body and finances. You see, I, I, I would say that I'm only one person, I'm not heart, soul and all that. So whatever I do, I do with the whole thing. I'm not separated, this is a no question. As far as finances are concerned, I don't need much finances and my travelling and all that, mostly my husband pays for me. Or sometimes even those people who call me pay for it, because I think my husband should not pay for their salvation, it's a bit too much, you see. That also, that they will become also parasitic. <laughs> Even that is to be paid, it's all right. I mean, if they pay for my traveling at the most, and I, my needs are very little, and by God's grace, you see, in this lifetime, I am not a carpenter's wife, but I'm a wife of quite a, a well-to-do gentleman, so <laughs> it's all right. Mm. You're now then on your mission to, to try to inform more of the world about Sahaja Yoga. How many um, followers do you have presently? I have no record. I have no record. I mean, I really can't say. If you ask me, like for example, this gentleman you met him here, uh, I would never say that. Uh, I would never remember that uh, uh, he is one of them or something because I don't keep any record. You see, it's my love. You don't count every every leaf you give light. You see, don't just don't do it. Mm -hmm. You just like to give it. That's all. You don't count for what? For what are you going to count? You see, you don't want to take anything. You have to just give, so why count? If you have to just give, now think and act. Think a person who just wants to give, now they don't count. Now see, these flowers are giving fragrance. Do they count how many people have taken fragrance? I mean, as many as will come, will take fragrance from them. Now their job is to give fragrance, so they are giving fragrance. It's very simple. Won't you destroy some of that uh, giving factor if you put yourself on pedestal, which is probably what you might be doing if you start to approach a wider audience, a larger group of people. No, I never think of these things. It always works out in such a way that I have managed so far. 
any amount of people now. The other day in a village we had 6,000 people and they all got realization. That is just like, <laughs> just like a uh, lightning, they all got, all of them, they got realized. All of them, can you believe it? So that's not the thing, it's not. You see, think of this divine power that converts flowers into fruits. Now, the flower of a mango will become a mango. How these things are worked out, into what details, how delicately, and how every character is preserved. If I'm talking of that power, why should I worry? This Divine Power, this God, why did He put us here? Oh, He loved you so much, that's why He's put you here. And just in a little transition you had to learn what is good and what is bad. That's all, just your, to make you grow a little, that's all. In this little thing you all got so frightened. There was nothing to be frightened. After all, He's given us such nice things. We don't want to see. We don't want to see anything, you see. That's the trouble. But why even put us in such a situation? Why not just create, create us like Himself or Herself? <laughs> or whatever it is, you see. The thing is, you have to grow, isn't it? Now, it would be like a little bird is born to the mother bird. Now, the mother bird has to teach the little bird to fly, isn't it? Now, she makes the bird fly by calling the little bird. And the bird says, why not make me like that, the one as you are? Then how will you learn? You have to master it. How will you do it? Unless and until you learn yourself. I mean, one can cook for you, all right? Put it in your mouth. But you have to eat and taste it. It is for you to taste. If you do not have any taste bud, well, how will you enjoy? Just to develop your taste buds that He has to make you understand. Grow. That growth is necessary. What are we growing towards? You are going to be the lights of God, the beacons of light of the God's love that is going to flow in this world. Are we eventually supposed to grow to be just like Him? Yes, very much. He's made you in His image, of course, in His collectivity and all that. The drop has to become the ocean by just becoming the ocean, falling into it. How do we seem to grow, or do we really grow? I mean, after all these years, for instance, we haven't learned very much about war. War. Gradually, you see, the, whatever you say about war, we haven't learned. That's a very good situation man has reached, that he has not learned much. Because if, he, if God had told you before that you haven't learned anything, you would not have believed it, because you have freedom to decide. Now, in that freedom you have learned that, no, we haven't learned much, so now you settle down. You see, that's one of the styles of God, to make human beings learn, otherwise they would not. If you had not created an atom bomb, you would never have learned what nonsense we have done by our, <laughs> by our all experimentation with science. Now, because atom bomb is there, it's sitting like a satan on your head, so now you know what you have done to yourself, so you come back. All these shocks are important, otherwise you may never, never go to God, never think of it, because this freedom gives you ego and people become so ego-oriented that there are many people who just don't believe in God. They think it's trash. Are we going to have so much freedom that eventually we'll destroy ourselves? Oh, you can never destroy. It's God's creation, He has created you. and. He's not the one who is going to destroy his own creation. You don't do anything whatsoever. 
you just don't do anything. You see, this is a wrong impression human beings have got that they do. What they do is a dead work. Something is dead, now see, the flowers are dead, so you have arranged them. The, the, the uh, tree is dead, so you have made a furniture, that's all, dead to the dead. Any living work can you do? Any living work? Nothing. Only after Realization you can do it, by awakening the Kundalini. Then you can do it, then you are entitled, you become the Master. And then we can create things? Yes, of course, you start creating. You start uh, creating a new awareness in a Personality by raising the Kundalini. What is achieved once this awakening happens? I mean, why are we better for it? You see, like, as I told you, that you are like a light, which is not enlightened. Now, when you are enlightened, what happens to you? You see the light. In the light you see yourself, all confusion is finished, you know the Truth, and you feel so blissful and happy because you know everything, there's no chaos, nothing. You are so relaxed and the power starts flowing you through you all the time, it is never lost, and you see in that light whatever is good and whatever is bad, and you understand everything so well. And when you become the light, what do you do? It's to give light to others, so that they should be enlightened also. But this dead light cannot give light to others in such a way that that can give light to others. But you can. Once you are realized, you can make others enlightened and they can make others enlightened. The whole confusion, the problem of disintegration, the problem of all these quarrels and these political problems and these economic problems and religion, everything will subside. Absolutely, when you are enlightened, human beings have to be enlightened. Because they are in darkness, that's why all these problems are there. The heaven that is so talked about in yes. religious books. That's it, I that is promised is to be now brought in. And apart from that, everything they have said is to be proved. All that is the job. Sahaja Yoga has to do. That's why it's a Maha Yoga, it's the, yo it's the great Yoga. How long is it going to take us to get there? See, it depends on human beings, how they work it out. That's all. It's for them to decide now. You see, they have to take a decision. That's the only problem where God cannot cross over. He has given you freedom, He's not going to take away your freedom. Now, let's see, I'm sure human beings are going to work out faster. They're going to be much wiser. Especially if you're in a dead end, right? 